All right, welcome back everybody to the next episode of the Servants Church Big Questions podcast. This is a forum for you guys to ask questions uh, just like you would after after um, Sunday. Um, so we do welcome your questions. The link for the anonymous Google form will be in the description. And this week, uh, our title is Job's Friends, Our Suffering and the Prosperity Gospel. So we're, we're back, John. We got a hunk of questions, didn't we? So many after last week. A hunk. Absolutely. And uh, what we're going to look at this time is we got a couple of questions that we felt were kind of linked. So I'm just going to read those out for starters and uh, we'll get into it. So we got one that said, what is the prosperity gospel and how can you spot if a brother has fallen for it? Um, and this was a little bit similar, so we decided to lump it together with this next one as well. You'll see it on your screen. One of the messages that is coming out of the 1 and 2 Chronicles series is that faithfulness to God's requirements leads to prosperity and peace. And if we are experiencing difficulties, we should consider whether God is disciplining us. How is this different to the arguments of Job's friends and the experiences of the Old Testament prophets who suffered because of their faithfulness? Also, Jesus implies that faithfulness will often result in difficulty when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Also, uh, the epistles predict suffering and difficulty for those who are seeking to follow Jesus closely. And the person who asked this question uh, chucked at us 1 Peter 4 uh, verses 12 to 19, James 1 verse 2, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4, and 2 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 29. They know their Bible, that's for sure. <laughs> they can certainly look up Bible verses, that's right. So, uh, John, this is a, a cool set of questions, suffering, prosperity. Um, maybe the first thing to start off with would be, what would you clarify for us? W would you agree with the person asking that second question? Is that what you've wanted us to get out of the one or two Chronicle series? Is that what the, the Chronicler themselves wanted us to get out? That uh, faithfulness to God's commands is, is directly linked to our, our prosperity and, and peace? I don't think it's that simple. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that the person asking the questions knows it's not that simple. Um, but it's still a good question because it's it, it get, can get easy for us to kind of see that kind of um, binary view of kind of do good, good things happen, do bad, bad things happen. And it is definitely more complicated than that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so the, the person then is kind of contrasting that, as you said, binary view of, of do good, get good, uh, kind of like obeying your parents or being disciplined by your parents. They're, they're saying, how is that different to the Old Testament prophets who suffered and, and also Job's friends? Could you just expand a bit on that for us? What, what's the questioner referring to? What happened there? Yeah, Job's friends, obviously, it's referring to the book of Job, which you can find in your Bible right after or right before the book of Psalms. And uh, it, when you read the book of Job, you see the first two chapters, and, and in summing it up, in the first two chapters, basically, this is a, a picture of, of God and uh, Satan coming into God's uh, throne or before God's throne saying, you know, uh, you don't have anybody who, who follows you. And God says, hey, what about Job? And in this very real sense, uh, God says about Job, Job is righteous. But then we see Satan uh, sort of attacking and 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 doing all kinds of destructive things to Job. And then when Job is in the suffering, Job's friends come and sort of give him messages. And that you see like in Job 4, where his friend uh, Eliphaz basically says, Job, you've sinned. And then later on uh, in chapter 5, uh, Eliphaz says, hey, well, Job, the problem is God's chasing you. Uh, and then in, in chapter 8, another friend named Bildad says, Job, what you need to do is repent. And then you get to chapter 11, and Zophar says, Job, you really need to repent. 
And so this is the idea about Job's friends or Job's comforters. Even though God declares Job as righteous, that he was not suffering because of his sin. Uh, he was not suffering because of the traditional ways we think suffering happens. Uh, that uh, here they were being insensitive and really just did not know what God was doing. So the, the question about Chronicles is like, are you saying that, uh, are you, aren't you kind of possibly being like Job's friends? So that's kind of what they're getting at by asking that. Sure, okay. And and in a similar vein of, of thought, kind of the Old Testament prophets were, were persecuted, of course, by Israel. People didn't want to listen because they stuck to God's word and, and proclaimed they should follow the good things. So it, it seems then Job was righteous and was still suffering, and him, him and his friends were wrestling through why. Um, and his friends were being overly simple, saying, you must have sinned. And, and even, even the prophets who were, were good men following God's law seemed to suffer. Um, so if, if there's not always this direct direct correlation and, and link, John, why, why is there different types of suffering? Is it, is it always deserved? Why isn't it always Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's a really important question because I think what we see in Scripture is that there's kind of three ways that we can experience suffering. Uh, one we might call, in fact, I stole these categories from a guy named Ray Ortland. It'll be a link uh, basically either in the notes or on the screen uh, that you can see an article that he wrote. Uh, but there's three kind of types of suffering that we can experience. One we might call deserved suffering. That's when we experience the consequences of our unwise choices, uh, or at least often we would do that. And uh, consequences for our sin, which we need to understand we always do that. So the book of Proverbs, all about trying to live a, a life skillfully, a life of wisdom, shows how here's the bad consequences for bad choices, here's good consequences for good choices. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that on a daily basis if we're yeah, honest with ourselves, yeah. don't and, we? And in fact, one of the things that happens is because we don't always have bad consequences for bad choices, or at least not immediately bad consequences for unwise choices. We think mm. we're getting away with something. So mm. I'll go ahead and eat that fourth chalk ice and, <laughs> and justify it. And now there's going to be a consequence later on. Uh, but also there's this really important reality that, you know, we, we can't sin and get away with it. Deuteronomy uh, 20, 32, 23 talks about, no, your sin will find you out. And in Galatians chapter six, we have this, it, it, we reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. God's not mocked. And so there's an important for us to recognize there is a deserved suffering uh, that's there, that can be there. And the Bible doesn't flinch about that. But there's also an undeserved or an innocent suffering. And that's when we, re, we experience the results of other people's bad choices or other people's sinful actions, or even just the, the, the consequences of living in this fallen world. Mm -hmm. So disease or, or natural disasters or just consequences of living in a fallen world. And we can experience those things and those are innocent suffering. So mm -hmm. like the COVID-19, obviously people aren't getting the COVID-19 uh, because they deserve it. That's not. It doesn't work not that some way. Kind of punishment, no, it's not that kind of a. Not, it's not that kind of a punishment. No. So there, there, there are such things that deserved suffering. There's also a lot of things called innocent suffering. Yeah, and those are probably the things that we would most uh, complain about being un, unjust and not fair, right? Uh, when we don't feel like it's you know deserved. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and then there's also a third category for for believers, which is called uh, righteous suffering, and that's when we are. Uh, persecuted or marginalized because of our stand for Jesus mm. and his gospel. And the Bible's really clear that, um, yeah, the Bible's really clear that this is something that we should expect. All the whole, uh, Peter's first letter, 1 Peter, is all about different kinds of suffering that the Christian can expect. Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all those who desire 
to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that um, uh, sometimes these three types of sufferings are kind of interwoven. So we can make an unwise choice and then have a consequence for that. And then someone else can overreact or maybe uh, separately treat us badly. Or we could uh, be trying to follow the Lord and have uh, uh, a good ex- be a good example or, or, or trying to, to uh, bring the gospel in a way uh, that's good. But then uh, that's combined with maybe an unwise choice as well. So it's not always like I'm only in one of these three categories. Sometimes they're mixed up. Yeah, okay. Just, just curious then, with, with regards to our 1 and 2 Chronicles series, do, do, you, do you think what was happening to um, Israel throughout its history was, was a deserved suffering, not keeping God's, God's law and commandments? Well, I think, I think uh, for the most part, that's kind of what the author of Chronicles is trying to bring forth. In trying to prepare uh, the, the, those who came uh, back from captivity to rebuild Jerusalem, trying to prepare them to be faithful to God in that activity, He's kind of wanting to, he's wanting to use the history of Israel, specifically of the kings of Judah, and show, okay, here's where faithfulness is blessed, mm-hmm. and here's where unfaithfulness has serious consequences. So that's the kind of suffering that he's exalting or that he's bringing to the forefront in that specific book, yeah. which is why that kind of comes across in the teaching. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, I think it, it can be pretty clear and obvious to us and from the Bible when, when we see, you know, that direct link of... Uh, disobeying God, some disciplining can come. But I, I think when suffering can seem a bit more random, you've, you've laid out these categories of when it's, it's innocent and, and not deserved or, or when we're persecuted for being Christians. But even still, we can have these boxes in these categories. I think, John, one of the first questions people tend to ask when they're experiencing some kind of trial or persecution is yeah. why. Yeah. They cry out for why me, um, yep. why now? Um, it doesn't necessarily help to know the definition of the suffering therein. Sure. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is there no purpose to the suffering? Yeah, that's a, that's that's the important question, and I think the the good news is yes, there is a, there is purpose. Always a purpose to our suffering, as believers. Um, I think in the same way that some of these uh, different kinds of suffering can be kind of interwoven. There's also different purposes that God has that are interwoven, and, and the Scripture brings those up. So one of the main purposes, uh, one of the main uses of, of, of suffering that God has is actually to reveal Himself to humanity. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about that God has subjected all of creation, that includes us, to futility or to kind of the Adam's sin, the, the consequences of Adam's sin, the fall of Adam's sin. Yeah. But it says, but not without hope. And so God's eternal plan has always been that in creating a a perfect uh, planet, a perfect universe, uh, and inhabiting with sinless people, he knew that they would fall. He knew that that would, in a sense, that is the subjection into futility. And yet he also planned himself to take on human flesh, enter into our suffering, Mm. to show us something about himself that even the angels didn't know about him. And so the, the, God has a huge purpose for this. It's not, it's not just necessarily random pain. And that he wants to use all of what we experience in, in, um, in this fallen world to the end. Yeah, J- just a quick question as an aside then. Obviously, it's, it's, it's the gospel and it's a wonderful grace that Jesus stepped down into our fallen humanity to redeem it. But is, is it fair to, for us to be included in the sin of Adam, would you say? But believing biblically that Adam's choice to yep. sin caused the, yep. the, sub, the creation to be subject to futility and yep. we are born in sin. 
Um, is that is that just innocent suffering? Uh, yeah. how, how's, what's God's purpose for that then? Yeah, well, that's a huge aside. I don't know if we can get into that huge aside <laughs> now. Um, in a, in a very clear, in a very simple nutshell, in the same way that God uh, allowed Adam to represent all humanity, and therefore we have inherited Adam's sinfulness, and therefore we choose to sin and have our own consequences for that. In that same way, Jesus, uh, when he died, he died a, a death for all humanity, so that those who believe in him, God will count his righteousness toward us. And so there's a parallel between that. Mm. But that's a whole other study okay. from Romans chapter 5 that they can get online and look up later on, okay? <laughs> sure. But let's, let's go back to the other ways that God uses suffering. So not just to reveal himself to humanity, but also to help others. You know, uh, Genesis 50, or actually I think it's around Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50, the story of Joseph is all about how God allows Joseph to go through these horrible circumstances. Yeah, he gets locked up in prison, sold off Absolutely. into slavery, right? Yep, all over the place, mm. to where he ends up basically when, when he's, he ends up becoming the second in charge of, of Egypt, God uses, gives him wisdom and uses him not just to, uh, to, for his own life to be prospered, but so that the whole nation of Israel, his whole family, all 75 people of his family are able to be brought in and saved from that famine. But actually all of Egypt mm. is saved from that famine. And, and he says clearly in Genesis 50 to his brothers, what you meant for evil, because they started the process by selling him into slavery. Yeah. He says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good to save many people. Right. Uh, and, so, and so God uses our suffering to help other people. And that's something that we often forget in our selfishness, that maybe we're suffering only to benefit somebody else. Wow, yeah. Uh, there's also this reality, again, in Romans chapter 8, uh, that, that God is using our suffering to make us like Jesus. If we're Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he's risen from the dead, that we want to follow him, Part of that is he allows us to suffer, yes, for the benefit of other people, but also to change us. Mm. The Bible says that we've been, con that we've been uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Mm. So God's destiny for us is to make us like Jesus, and suffering is a part of that. Yeah. Uh, but lastly, and this is what I think we see in Chronicles, is that suffering is often about God, how God corrects us or chastens us, which is why I had mentioned in, in a study a, a week or so ago, that um, you know that when we are going through difficult times, that we should say, "Okay, Lord, are you trying to correct me? Is there something I need to, to to correct?" Not because I think, "Oh, I deserve this now," or "or my suffering must be deserved." It may not be, but it still may be the God's means to correct us. In fact, you can read Hebrews chapter twelve, and we'll come back to that chapter yeah. in future podcasts because it's a really important chapter about the fact that one of our identities, or part of the thing that identifies us as God's children, is that we are chastened. He does make sure to correct us, as a good father corrects his children. Yes, yes. Look out for that one, guys. We've got an upcoming episode about uh, suicide and salvation. So, thanks for those questions. Please send us more. Um, there's a there's a corporate nature to it as well, isn't there? There, John, the, the suffering produces uh, fruit or helps people in in the ch the whole church. It's yes. not just an individual thing. I think sometimes people can think God works everything together for my good, and yes. I will immediately see some from benefit for myself from this. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a really a crucial thing. I think it's something that uh, God had kind of brought to my attention after reading Revelation for the thirtieth or fortieth time. Or, I'm sorry, Romans for the thirtieth or fortieth time. Uh, just how, how like wow I never really 
thought of it, I realized how, how I always saw my suffering will work together for my good mm. and forgetting that God's working our suffering for our good. Mm. And uh, it's really important that we see that. I mean, I think a lot of people are seeing that, even people that wouldn't identify as Jesus followers are seeing that in the COVID, uh, with this COVID crisis, that that it, even this difficulty can be used for good. It, it bringing some good out of people, it's, it's causing people to do good or things they, they knew uh, were good, but maybe weren't motivated before to yeah, do. Yeah. And so this is this is really how God works uh, mm. specifically with suffering. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So the the other aspect to the question was was kind of suffering on, on balance with with prosperity. Um, I, I remember being on a, a, a Saturday street outreach back when we used to still go out um, for for the church, and and I was talking to one guy who who said he he used to be uh, well in, involved in the church, was serving really regularly, and, and involved in all these ministries and helping out and giving a lot. And I can't remember what he said went wrong, but let, let, uh, some relationship went sour, lost money, lost a job, that kind of thing, and that was his reason for completely turning away from the church, denying it all, uh, f- falling away. So, uh, John, when, when we think about obedience and, and prosperity and, and suffering, is it, is it right that we should have an expectation um, that God should be blessing me if I'm doing the right things? Yeah, I, I think I think there's a balance. And, and this kind of pulls us into that that first question, what's the prosperity gospel, isn't mm. it? Um, and, and what's hard about this, it, when we say prosperity gospel, uh, Many people rightly connect this to the kind of preachers we would see on the God Channel. And I have said before, and I'd say again, I don't recommend going on the God Channel. There probably are some good guys on there, but there's a lot of prosperity gospel on there, quote unquote, in inverted commas, you know. Uh, and, and, and so we, we, it's, it, it does kind of uh, teach some subtle mistakes. And I think this is the hard thing because God does want to bless his children. Uh, God wants to give good gifts to his children. Jesus was clear about that. So how do we wrestle? How do we balance this out? And this is what's hard about the prosperity gospel. And I would reckon this is probably why this person is asking the question, how am I supposed to recognize this? Because the differences can be quite subtle, sure. but also quite uh, significant. Yeah. Um, so so uh, kind of thinking about this and this uh, kind of how we can compare, really the best way to do this is to compare the prosperity gospel with the biblical gospel. Right. And so like I'd say this, the prosperity gospel teaches that God is the means to an end. And in one sense, that's true because uh, there, there's no way we can get to what God has for us except through God. He has to be the means. Mm-hmm. But the biblical gospel actually teaches that God is both the means and the end. Right. And so like we read in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about this one thing I do. I press on to know God. Uh, that, that his whole life is about wanting to know God. He saw God, Christ himself, as the end. Mm-hmm. And even if that met him... Or even including that, uh, meaning him suffering the way Christ suffered. So, so when 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 the preaching is about uh, come to God and your life will improve, uh, come to God and you'll get wealthy, come to God and you'll be healthy. That's prosperity gospel. Right. It sees God as a means to an end, even if it's even subtler than how I'm saying it. Right. Some self-defined end. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of God Himself being the end. Another thing about prosperity gospel is it, it sees that Christ suffered. Uh, since Christ suffered, his followers don't need to. Mm. And again, gosh, that sounds like the gospel, right? We don't need to suffer in hell because Christ suffered for us. That's great. true. Yeah. That's great. And that's true. Except for 
uh, actually what the Bible teaches, what Jesus himself taught was because Christ suffered, his followers, followers ought to expect to also suffer. Right. Yes. In Matthew 10, he talks about, look, a, a servant's not greater than his master, and he's our master, he's our Lord. Mm. So because he suffered, we're going to suffer. Now our suffering doesn't have the same kind of atoning value that his suffering does, no but still we do suffer. Where the prosperity kind of says, no, suffering isn't what you should have to do because Jesus already suffered in our right. place. Right, can be avoided, yeah. Yes. And here's, and here's the next thing, probably the third thing, which is really big, is how prosperity gospel deals with faith. With the prosperity gospel, faith is, is seen as an act of power that changes reality. Hmm. And so this is where you get this idea of name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, these kind yeah, of phrases thrown around. Yeah, this is a popular way yeah. of thinking, isn't it? Yes. And, and so it's this idea like, this is going to be mine, I'm going to will it to happen. Hmm. But that's not how the Bible describes faith. Faith is not an, an act of power that changes reality. Biblical faith is an act of trust that accepts reality. One accepts the reality uh, uh, according to it accepts the reality according to how God defines it. So, hmm. in Hebrews chapter eleven, it says, uh, "By faith we understand that God formed the universe by the words of His, uh, by the words that He spoke." And that's what, in fact, that's what universe means. It means spoken word. Hmm. And so, it's the idea that God spoke into existence, creation. Now, there's not given us all the definitions you can go back and listen to the podcast we talked about that yes. a couple times ago um, but this is it, it, by faith we understand okay there's a reality there's a creation there must be a creator by faith we understand that but also in Hebrews 11 in Hebrews 11 6 it talks about that without faith it's impossible to please God because he who believes must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him mm. and so faith is not just about Okay, reality, God made it. That's as far as it goes. No, I believe that we, it's believing that God is as he's uh, called himself to be, that it's right for me to please him by trusting him. Yeah. And that I need to trust that he's a rewarder, that mm. God is, is, is wanting to bless us yes. for seeking after him. Now, the reward is himself. Himself. <laughs> himself. And so this, yeah. is, this, is not, this is what we're, we're, we're longing for. What we want above all other blessings that God might give is himself. And so we pursue him. So faith in a biblical gospel is an act of trust that accepts reality as opposed to prosperity, an act of power that changes reality. Mm. Um, the fourth thing I'd say is uh, in a prosperity gospel, they see abundant life meaning joy without suffering. So in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. So they say, see, that's, this is what God has for us. So abundant life can't mean being poor. Abundant life can't mean being sick. And yet Jesus himself was poor Jesus physically suffered. The apostles were often poor. Mm. The apostles often physical, physically suffered. Many of the uh, believers across the centuries who have been faithful Christians have been poor and have yeah. suffered. So it, it, you know, to say that, that it's abundant life means joy without any kind of suffering doesn't fit really right. what we see. In mm. fact, in a biblical gospel, abundant life means joy in the midst of suffering. Ah, yes. Again, you could read the whole book of 1 Peter. It would, it would deal with that. But also... Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about what we should do if we are persecuted. He says, if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice, uh -huh. rejoice. Right. And so it's even a motivation to find joy because if we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, if we're following after him, loving people the way he loved people, mm. people aren't going to like us, but we can rejoice that they're responding to us as they respond to him. Yeah. And I'd say lastly, and this is, this is uh, again, quite subtle, but it's important, is Often in prosperity churches or prosperity gospel, they're seeking a cultural credibility. In other words, they're looking to have a reputation of culture that says, aren't these Christians really nice people? 
<laughs> and now there's nothing wrong with people thinking that we're nice people. There's nothing wrong with us doing nice things for the community. We should do that. Yeah. But a biblical gospel doesn't just seek, it doesn't stop at cultural credibility. No. It pursues cultural redemption. Mm. So that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are actually coming to biblical faith in the biblical Jesus for the glory of God. Yeah. And so and so we see that in Revelations 5, 9, and 10, of course, this great celebration of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So yeah. we're kind of just scratching the surface there, but it's important that we see that it's the way we kind of identify a prosperity gospel is by understanding what the biblical gospel is. Yes. And these subtle differences can make have really big implications. Yes. And and from, from what I'm hearing, John, they, they, they can be subtle and perhaps hard to discern. And, and actually, they've got some aspects of, of the truth absolutely right, that, that sure. God loves to bless his children with, with what they uh, really need. And we can have an, an expectant faith of, of his working all, all, all things for yes, good. Absolutely. So we, we don't want to be... Uh, overreacting, do we, against um, some of this stuff and therefore becoming too conservative or, or too tight in our yeah. thinking, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, as you said, this is just tickling the beginning of, of all this uh, prosperity that we're, we're seeing kind of springing up across the world. But where would you point people who want to uh, know more about this and, and can inform themselves better about these differences? Sure, I, I, w- I want to recommend two books, and I feel a bit guilty about this because even though I appreciate both authors, I've not read either of these two books. But um, uh, I think they would be both helpful. If, if you're wrestling with what prosperity gospel is, or you feel like maybe you've been a bit burned by a, a prosperity gospel or a prosperity church, or you're not sure about what that might look like. Mm. Uh, there's a famous prosperity preacher named Benny Hen, and his nephew, Costi Hen, uh, came out of prosperity gospel churches right. and into a good biblical gospel church. Yeah. And he wrote a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. So I'd recommend that book by Costi Hen. Uh, and then uh, if you want to just wrestle with or, or, or know what it means to walk with God through pain and suffering, mm. uh, this God who's entered into our suffering, how do, we, how do we experience him and walk with him and know him better through that? Uh, I'd recommend Tim Keller's book, uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Tim uh, Keller, anything Tim Keller, Yes, I, I've not read anything with Tim Keller didn't love. I just happen not to have read this book yet. Sure, so sure. I'd, re- I'd recommend those two books. Great, cool. Okay. So that was that was awesome. We we should be having that uh, biblical view of, of suffering, shouldn't we, John? So I, I know I'm very much looking forward to our next few episodes. Like I said, we've got laid out for you guys. Um, can we lose our salvation? Thing, things like that. Um, church history and authority, the councils and creeds. And of course, anything else that you guys would like us to discuss. Maybe this podcast has prompted some questions for you. Maybe the sermon, maybe something else you've read. Feel free to bring it to us. That's what we're here for. Submit it to us. Um, that's that's all for this week. Thank, thanks very much, John. And um, don't forget to tune into our live stream and see our YouTube channel. Just search for Servants Church Norwich, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening.